First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. It was Valentine's Day at Finley Elementary School. Excitement made the air shiver in the classroom as the children came in from the coat room. Everyone was carrying a shoebox decorated with red or pink construction paper, paper doilies, and hearts. Inside the boxes were cherry or cinnamon-flavored lollipops, candy necklaces, and boxes of small, chalky hearts stamped with phrases like, hug me, be mine, you're sweet, as well as the small cards in white envelopes that would be distributed at some point during the day. Earlier in the month, the teachers had given each child a list of the names of everyone in the class with the strict instructions that they make a valentine for everyone else. Now, they'd had us in class since August, and by February, they were very aware of which children loved each other, which children liked each other, and which children hated each other with the passion and intensity of 10,000 blue hypergiant stars all going supernova at the same time. But on Valentine's Day, even the fiercest of enemies had to call a ceasefire and exchange tokens of appreciations. I hated Valentine's Day, despite it being the birthday of my mother and one of my friends. I dreaded the card exchange. Despite the ironclad guarantee that I was going to receive at least 20 other Valentines, I was always worried that I'd be left out. I knew I'd get one for my best friend and maybe a handful of others, but I just wasn't sure. I was sure that I would receive the fewest cards, and I was genuinely thrilled to receive that, to find that I had received a box full of them. Now, I know beggars can't be choosers, but I would have been perfectly fine without the chalky candy hearts. I hated them, and I still do. Why did I think I wouldn't receive any Valentines? It's not like I didn't have any friends, but I was still a lonely child. I never felt that I fit in. My sister and brothers always seemed to maintain their roster of friends from one school year to the next, but I always felt like I was starting over. Loneliness is the state of feeling isolated and not connected to other people. That was me. What kind of person do you visualize when I say, picture a lonely person? Perhaps you picture someone who li lives a solitary life Maybe you pictured someone sitting alone in the middle of a restaurant, surrounded by couples and families. Was it someone with 500 Facebook friends who's always on the go and is deeply involved in their community activities? Loneliness is asymptomatic. You can't easily tell who suffers from it and those who accept and love their solitude. Not everyone with self-esteem, low self-esteem is lonely, but it does play a role. I had low self-esteem and I always felt like the outsider in the family. And sometimes I really was excluded from things. At a family reunion, after we finished eating, the adults shooed the children away from the table so they could talk. The hosts, my aunt and uncle, had four children. 
Their oldest girl was a teenager, so she took off up the stairs to re to hide in her phone, uh, hide in her room with the telephone to call her friends. My brother and uh, the, uh, the two sons, they took off to do whatever it is that seven and eight-year-old boys do on a hot summer's afternoon. The other girl, my sister and I, were all about the same age, but they had formed a tight bond and spent most of their time hiding from me. I desperately wanted to be part of their group. If they had told me that they were going to sit down and eat a lutefisk pie, I wouldn't have known what that was, but after finding out what it was, I still would have been incandescently happy to sit there with them as we ate it. On this day, they finally said I could go exploring with them. And I ran into the house to get my sunglasses. They said they'd wait for me, but when I came back out, they were gone. I searched everywhere, the house, the yard, the block, but they disappeared. I felt so unwanted as I took a seat on the small concrete stoop on the side of their house. Every now and then one of the adults would come by and ask me why I was sitting there. It would have been too embarrassing to say I'd been left behind. So I simply shrugged and said, because I want to. Finally, my aunt came along. I could feel her eyes on me as I sat there tracing intricate and invisible patterns on the concrete, but I couldn't face her. I think she worked out what had happened. She didn't say a word, she just took my hand and led me to the garage. Mopeds were all the rage and my aunt and uncle had them. My aunt found her helmet, found one to fit me and then she put me on the back of her moped and took me for a long ride around the neighborhood. After that, I grew to expect that I would be left on my own, and I began taking books to family reunions. My loneliness came and went as I reached young adulthood. Now, I always expected that my life at that point would look a lot like the lives of the young adults on the soft drink commercials that I used to watch on TV. My friends and I would be in California making movies and going to premieres and going shopping and boating and just having so much fun. I'd have a fiance who adored me and then we'd get married and I'd never have to worry about being alone again. That didn't happen. Instead, I was working in a customer service call center and doing the occasional TV commercial and industrial training video, but I was waiting for my big Hollywood break. I had a boyfriend, but he was emotionally abusive. He knew I hated my day job and I looked forward to us spending Friday nights together. So he'd break our plans at the very last minute. Most people I, already, I knew already had plans and so I got gutsy and started going out by myself. The Smiths recorded a song that's become a sort of anthem to loneliness. And how soon is now, Morrissey sings about going to a club in the hopes of connecting with someone and the, the, the feeling your hopes dashed when that doesn't happen. So you go and you stand on your own and you leave on your own. 
and you go home and you cry and you want to die. That was me too. Is there a difference between being lonely and single and being lonely and in a relationship? It's been a long time since I was in a relationship, so I don't know, but I think lonely is lonely. A friend of mine was married for 50 years to someone who was prone to violence, and she felt very alone. He hid his darkness so well that no one believed her when she asked for help, not even the people in her faith community. When he died, she felt freedom and peace that she had always longed for but never had. She does feel lonely on occasion, but she is resolved to stay single. For others, the loss of a partner catapults them into a crippling black hole of devastation. Not only is the presence of another person in the home gone, but they feel they have, that they've lost a part of themselves as well. The coronavirus pandemic has left millions upon millions of people lonely, either from death or from the stress of being quarantined. Now, in an article in Psychology Today, writer Teho Smith noted that single people are feeling especially the quarantine loneliness more acutely, but this loneliness has touched everyone. And the numbers are staggering. A survey of American adults reported that 81% of people between the ages of 30 and 44, 62% between 45 and 59, and 48% of those 60 and older reported feeling distressed by the separation of quarantine. Now, the quarantine has certainly exacerbated loneliness, but it has been rising in America for decades, leading Dr. Vivek Murthy to declare it a public health crisis. He found that the effects of being lonely are more serious than those caused by obesity. It's akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness even plays a role in how people are perceived on the job. Dr. Murphy found that employees who feel they belong are happier and healthier than coworkers who feel excluded. They take 75% fewer sick days, receive twice as many raises, and are 18% more likely to be promoted. Now, while not being a virus, some psychologists believe that loneliness is contagious. It spreads through mistrust and negativity. Those people who are lonely might adopt body language and facial expressions that are off-putting to other people. So a feedback loop is created where the lonely person might be unfriended by others, which then makes them feel more lonely. Like the scarecrow in today's story, they become more and more isolated and despairing of ever building connections. Now, even though they may desperately want friends, most lonely people are not going to stand out in the cold like we have today in the middle of a snowstorm to be magically transformed. And there's no pill, no supplement, no vaccine for loneliness that we can buy. So what's the cure? We are. Loneliness is a social disease and the cure is social connection. As difficult as it is for lonely people to shed those feelings of shame and uncertainty, it's up to us to start reaching out to other people.
it's not easy and it's not realistic to suddenly believe that people will want to be our friends, but perhaps our principles can show us the way. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the acceptance of one another. As we extend these values to other people, we must include ourselves in those beliefs. We have to believe that we are worthy of belonging. We must also be willing to open ourselves to those who are reaching out to us, who want to be our friends. Have you ever been approached by a stray or a wild animal? There's great curiosity and trepidation on both sides. We don't know if it'll hurt us, and it doesn't know if it's going to be hurt by us. But we fill that space between us with confidence, patience, and love to try to build that bridge. When a strange animal is approaching me, I feel a great sense of honor that of all the people in the world, it chose me. Now, sometimes nothing comes of these encounters, they're brief, but sometimes with trust and patience and give and take, a beautiful friendship can be formed. Now, with any venture, there is a risk of putting ourselves out there because we don't know what will happen. We might not like the other person, but then again, we might. We might be hurt by them, but then again, we might not. I don't have time to waste on someone I might not like in the end. I get that. But if we're going to beat loneliness, if we're going to see the social revival that Dr. Murphy spoke of and recenter people, this time must be put in. Michelle Silverstein wrote a poem called How Many, How Much. It goes like this. How many slams in an old screen door? Depends how, on how loud you shut it. How many slices in a bread? Depends how thin you cut it. How much good inside a day? Depends how good you live them. How much love inside a friend? Depends how much you give them. Time spent on people is never wasted. If you don't think you have time for other people, think of all the time you spend scrolling through Facebook or playing video games or binging on television shows on Netflix and Hulu. Studies have shown that most people spend about two hours a day in the digital world. Now, if we were able to gather in person, I would ask you to go talk to someone that you don't know during coffee hour, since we're separated. I am asking you to take 20 or 30 minutes out of your Candy Crush time or your Bridgerton time and reach out to someone in real life. Your new friend and your eyes will thank you. <laughs>